flying sign with Joe Clady. This is Stoic Forge. I began my morning routine of getting out of the van, stretching out and working out all the kinks after sleeping on a futon that was slowly breaking down um, throughout the course of the last month and a half. It had the the cushions had started to to wear away uh, from my big body and the the asses of of many. Uh, uh, companions that I would pick up along the way. It was not a good place to sleep on, especially too since, like I said at the beginning of this thing, I forgot a pillow. <laughs> so every night I would ball up dirty clothes or or whatever um, to be my to be my pillow. When I would ball up some of the blankets, um, but in my stupid delusional brain, when I was packing this thing up, it's the desert. It's hot. A sheet will be fine. And I guess I forgot the uh, common knowledge and the common fact that the desert's hot in the day, but it gets cold at night. So uh, waking up was starting to feel uh, achy. Went inside to try and spange my way into a free cup of coffee while then proceeding to charge all of my stuff, my phone, iPod, face buzzer, and then I would just sit there and journal. As I was sitting there, uh, I saw this older man sitting there for as long as I was there, and uh, he asked about my journal, and we ended up talking over a cup of coffee. He hadn't seen his nephew in 40 years, and they were finally meeting here for breakfast. Um, so we chatted about the last time that they saw each other and told him some of the stories of San Francisco and just an overview of, of the, the path so far. Uh, I asked him how close I was until I reached the Redwoods. He said, you'll know when you're there. You'll be filling up the pages in that book of yours, he said. And like that, I said with a laugh, well, I, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Got in the van and, and started to head north on the last leg. As I was on the road, I noticed something failed in the uh, the damn fuel gauge. I had had more than uh, a, a, um, a half a tank at least, and it had, was reading empty for a while. Um, and so I started to realize that this couldn't make it back, the van, as much as I'd love to just push through and maybe take out a, a small loan from friends and family for fuel to just try and get this thing home. It, it may not make it, and I may not be in an area to where I could get help. So it was time to maybe try and sell this thing. Um, I quickly learned that it's hard to sell vehicles in California unless they've had the uh, smog check um, to be certified clean air. Um, it's a California law. was unaware of that, and as you could expect, this van was not very environmentally friendly. Uh, 
And to go through this procedure, it would cost $200. So obviously that was not an option. So I thought, fuck, this is going to be harder than I thought. I saw signs for Laytonville, which was the town uh, where um, Humble Pie and Melissa had sent me. Part of the reason why I decided to head north. Take the route and skip San Diego and Encinitas. And um, they, they kind of scared it out of me. And so he had told me of Laytonville and Garberville and uh, Redway and all these, all these little cluster of towns up that way. And had convinced me there in Flagstaff at Camp Walmart that Leighton, if I went to this coffee shop, um, I believe it was, I don't have it written down, but it was, I think it was Poor Girls Coffee. Um, but he said if I were to go there and ask for some work and say that I know Humble Pie, that it would, they would bend over backwards, almost like I'm handing over some token to some old monk that would grant me some high honor. I, he made it seem almost biblical that I would mention his name and the walls would, you know, open up and just, we, you know, he didn't actually say that, but just it's, he made it seem like I would be taken care of immediately. So I get to this shop and as soon as I use his name, I'm not met with faces of uh, uh, understanding and excitement to know that I've been sent by the almighty humble pie, but I was met with questioning faces and confused looks, especially with the uh, the way I asked in, in kind of a confident an almost arrogant way. Like, I know the guy. I know the main guy. And they didn't know him. Um, and maybe they knew him by his real name. But I knew him as Humble Pie. And I would assume if they knew him by his real name, they would know him as Humble Pie. And I left Laytonville thinking he might not have been a, as big of a deal as I thought, or maybe even as he thought. So as I kept pushing north after spending the night just on the side of the 101, I saw signs for the drive through tree. Now the drive through th tree is this um, old landmark. It's very, again, just kind of Route 66 era um where you would drive your car through on your family trip and it just you know a fun little tourist trap uh to drive through a tree pay a bunch of money it's a big redwood but i was kind of excited to do it thinking it would be just something you did like it was almost the gateway into the land of the redwoods so i knew that was coming I had stopped for some oatmeal uh, at just this general store that was surrounded by nothing. Just off the... The 101 had a weird way of not being like a highway I'd ever been on before. Tucked and, and winding almost like a, a country road, but it was a highway. It was very strange, and even the, the exits weren't really exits. They were more just 
you just pulled off. And there was this general store, and Matt had made me a believer of the oatmeal, especially since I had now the uh, the dishes to to do it. And by dishes, I mean cut open bottles, cut cut open Gatorade bottoms to to hold my my nasty soggy Gatorade, which then the other Gatorade bottles would be filled with water that I would fill with the tea bags and uh, let the sun do the work. And I was never a tea drinker, and I wasn't even a coffee drinker before this. But I guess the road did weird things when you need to stay awake and you don't have money, and also you need to eat. And dry oats seeping or just sitting in cold water um, seemed to do the trick. I see the signs for drive through tree. Now, drive through tree was a redwood, um, a sequoia redwood that was so wide at the base and so deep and sturdy that they had cut a six foot wide and six foot high tunnel through the tree to where then you would drive through it and it was part of a a park just very again another fun little tourist stop and to to welcome you to the redwood forest now i was all for it what a fun photo opportunity to see the van who i had just recently decided i was about to bid farewell after um a lot of time, just the two of us. I don't know. I knew I was going to have to say goodbye to this friend. So what a fun little uh, last goodbye. What do you do when it's time to put down the family dog? You do all the, the fun things that that dog loves to do. This dog loved to be on the road and do fun things and drive around Uh, and that's what I wanted to do with the van until it was time to put the metaphorical bullet in it so we get to the gate the toll or the 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 booth and it's it's ten dollars and it was just kind of disappointing that it wasn't just something that you could do and I understand it was a a man-made thing and it's it's just an attraction, um, and I'm sure there's maintenance involved and and janitorial duties for the park, things of that nature, to where that costs money. But it was just another another moment being on the road where I was blocked by I, I was I was kept out uh, either due to money restrictions or literal barriers, whether it's a mountain range, rock formation, even a large hill that seemed attractive, attractive enough to approach and enjoy by exploring, was always met with fences, barbed wire, even other parts of nature that just kept you away from it. And this was just another obstacle that 
it was just something I wasn't going to be able to do. And it, it bummed me out. I was looking forward to it. Uh, and I let the lady know my frustration in a very passive-aggressive way, which I'm sure she got a lot for charging $10 to drive through a tree six feet. I'm sure people don't jump at the opportunity to spend $10, but maybe they do. When, when on a family road trip, you'll drop $10 like that. Um, so I backed out and turned around. So as I'm driving, continuing up the 101, I'm feeling the presence of the Redwoods. Not just because I can obviously see them, but there's something very ancient and mysterious about them. Um, there was a pull-off similar to the general store that if I would have literally blinked or been looking the other way, I would have missed it. But I saw it in time enough to pull off and explore. There was a big uh, trail that, that took you through a couple miles of the forest that led down into this small clearing that had a pond, maybe... 50 feet to 100 feet around and in the middle sat a little rock island so I went back to the van grabbed my swimsuit and jumped in there were other people splashing around in it so I this was something that didn't have a pay station didn't have a fence around it so I was going to take advantage of it I jumped in the water was so clear probably 20 feet deep and I could see to the bottom like I was putting my hands in the sink seeing fish and turtles and um, watching the fish as they nibble at my leg hair I made it to the the middle almost busted my ass and uh, face as I stepped on the the mossy stones leading up to the main center rock in the middle but I climbed to the top and just laid in the sun with the turtles and the birds also enjoying the sun and getting warm it was very nice very uh, rewarding it was almost like a little treat and I had seen that a lot like I've said you know Back to, back to when I got that free shower after the T and Linda incident. It was a little reward, a little treat for making it out, for putting up with something that you didn't uh, plan on or that you didn't even have to deal with. I believe that happens the karma credit, if you will. It was, and this was another another uh, withdrawal that I think I was able to make by accident, but it was fine. I found this place on accident. I didn't know how nice it would be to just sit there, lay there, back against the wet, warm stone, 
got back in the water and just kind of sat in the redwoods. Went to get my guitar and wrote a song. It was just so, so nice. I call it Gods in 3D. Just about the, the human beings are gods in their own way. There was this book called The Flatlanders. Basically about the two-dimensional beings and and there was a uh, some comparisons made over. I've just heard and seen about what if a three-dimensional person such as us were to enter a two-dimensional world. It would blow their minds that they that that we were to ex- experience uh, with not just a flat plane, and then. There's the fourth dimension, being time. And that's what I believe God is, is just, at least our God, is just a fourth dimensional being, which is time. It's something we can't see. We know it exists, but we can't, we can only measure it. We can't uh, see it in, in real time. The only ways we see time is through decay, really, or on uh, measurement devices such as watches, clocks. And so I just felt moved by, I opened the song with the tired guardians with their ancient sways, and the as the redwoods with their their 90 degree angle uh, towers just punching out of the ground because there were no there was no underbrush it had all been killed off by the, the large canopy over time blocking out anything there was no rounding roots that, that made its way up it was literally like someone took a popsicle stick and stuck it in the ground on a massive scale. <laughs> As I'm sitting there playing, this man comes up uh, and just just asks about what I was playing. I told him I was working on a song. We get to talk, and he was going to somewhere in Washington for a Native American, I can't remember the, the, the tribe, but the, some festival on the beach. And as we're sitting there, he pulls out this tiny bowl, one that I had never seen. It had a, a little lid on it that opened and shut. Um, we shared, uh, or he shared with me, and offered to fill up my little piece before I left. It was nice. It was nice to, to have a friend. He took my picture with with one of the redwoods so I could actually be in it for... Um, size comparison perspective and I was on my way leaving the the magical forest of the redwoods and headed north to Garberville it was a uh, very small town with a had their Safeway a few local restaurants 
some bars, gas station, and that was about it. But as I spent some time there, I had learned that they kept it that way on purpose. There were laws in place when you got in certain parts of of the North that wanted to keep the franchises out for at least as long as they could. And I thought that was very admirable. I'm sure you lose some potential business that way. Most travelers, uh, especially on, if they're on business, they want something familiar, something that they could get at the Applebee's or McDonald's at home. It's all the same shit if it's done right. That, that's, that's part of their business model is to be as consistent as possible. And so if you're traveling, trying to find something or wanting to find something new is, is very rare. So I hang out at the Safeway um, where I hope to sell the van. I put a sign in the window for $1,100, thinking that would, that would cover a lot. That would be money to, to pay my dad back. That would, be, that would cover the price of the van from the beginning, and that could most likely get me home. At least, I mean, you know, it was very hopeful. As I'm putting the sign in the window, this guy walks up with a walker assisting him. Now, let me let me preface this by saying I was very kind to him. And I was very open with him. His name was Josh, and he was 24. And he talked like Little Nicky, the Adam Sandler movie. Did a real slow, like, slurry, uh, just could not get the words quite right. And I learned that he was also from Indiana, from West Lafayette. And it's just found his way here over time. And as we're as we're chatting about that, I I didn't ask about his situation, why he was in a walk, why he was using a walker, and why he had speech issues. He just immediately offered, like he was almost ready for me to ask. He said he was blackout drunk once. He came from a very wealthy home and uh, you know the tale is as old as time the the wealthy family has the drug abusing alcoholic son that goes off the rails blows all the money rehab things like that that was Josh he was hammered one night fell just face first to the ground no knees no hands to break his fall just head cut all of his weight he said it fucked up his brain he said it literally tore his brain he said he didn't receive any surgery so his brain healed that way and in his weird way of speaking he said my mind's literally twisted. Very, he enunciated to where, I don't know, it was very strange, but, but very sad. 
um, he was now permanently disabled. And I don't know if there was any truth to that or not, but it was difficult to communicate. Possible, but uh, very slow. And um, he was all, he was there, but uh, communication wise and motor skill wise, not, not the best there either. Now, as I'm talking with Josh, this man and his wife walk up and express some interest in the van. They were mid-40s, and I learned that this man was also from Indiana, from Franklin, Indiana, which is about 20 miles or so south of Indianapolis. He said he had quit his unfair trucking job and had hit the road. Uh, It was very, he looked a lot older than I think his age, but he had this young, fun spunk and kind of looked like, had a Jim Henson meets, uh, oh, if Jim Henson spent a year on the road, let's put it that way, real long beard, real skinny, but real, real happy and cracked a lot of jokes and real uh, a friendly voice. Uh, and his name was Greg, and his wife's name was Karen. Um, they said they wanted it. They said that they would try their best to, to get the money when they can and that I would work with them. You know, we could do whatever and they're like no I think we can get that Uh, and then that they would take me to the train station and as we're standing there negotiating and trying to get a plan together all of these this swarm of of younger obviously stoner uh, weed enthusiasts I think just drug enthusiasts uh, kids and now people my age walk up and this girl who was not smoking weed, who probably should have been, but she was on something else. She had scars up and down her forearms uh, and was walking and, and, you know, touching her face and flipping her arms back and forth. She was in control, but almost like she was spasming as she would walk which I later learned was was either probably or probably meth. I, I don't know what it was, but it scared the hell out of me, and it looked like either some some hardcore drug that I did not know or see, or it looked like she had the shit really bad. But I think it was uh, the former. So all these people including Greg and Karen, and now including myself, were here in Garberville for a trim job. For an opportunity to get picked up by one of these gigantic pot farmers in the heart of Humboldt County. Go to their farm and start harvesting. Just so happened it it, it was about that time. 
just a little too early though, so there were a lot of people on standby. Now the way this went, oftentimes from what I had gathered, is once there, once it was ready, or once a frost was about to come in, they would drive down to this riverbank uh, where everyone would hang out and sleep in in the truckloads, pick them up and take them to their respective farms. So that's where I went. That's where Greg and Karen had been hanging. That's where Josh had been hanging. That's where all these people had been hanging. And that's where we agreed to meet in the morning. So first thing, that's where I headed. After staying at that Safeway, in hopes that someone would maybe see the van and have the money. It wasn't far from the main stretch of Garberville, and it was unlike any other overpass that I had ever seen. No trash, no concrete, just a true river with sand and stones that just were smoothed from time. You could tell it was winding. The trees were as close as it could get. And it was covered with people. People that cared to be there weren't weren't trashing the place. Were really taking care of of the spot. I guess a few days earlier they had put some concrete jersey barriers right at the entrance so you couldn't actually drive your vehicle onto the bank itself. But uh, it didn't stop people from at least bringing their stuff to the river to either hang out or still just go sleep in their vehicles. Greg and Karen did not have a vehicle. They just they just slept outside with each other either under the bridge or just on the bank. And I had thought about them all night and thought about making it really worth their while for a better price. And that they would they would be putting the van to a good use. Like I said, it had become my favorite character on this thing so far. It never talked back, never argued, uh, never laughed, but it was always my refuge, my cave, my my getaway. And I knew I was going to be sad to say goodbye. And the thought of it traveling back and forth, north and south, up the west coast, filled my heart with with a good feeling. And that's where I'd love to leave it. So I met them down there, um, and I immediately asked them if they wanted to smoke. And their faces lit up immediately, and I felt cool with these people. Like they were going to be cool with me. Um, So we passed around and and got to talking. Got to know each other. I told them about my home back in Greenwood. 
uh, again, some of the, the stories so far where this van had come from and what it had seen. Uh, as we would swap stories, they would tease and flirt with each other in a very charming and, and youthful way that made even me smile. They told me about when they were in Barstow. They had been t- until they found their way up here. They were junkies and finally realized that it wasn't worth it. They had been methed out of their minds. And he said he had almost killed her in Barstow, just out of, for no reason, just out of a, uh, anger and a fight, he, he almost killed her. And they realized that this wasn't what was right. And they grabbed whatever sanity they had left and pushed their way up here. They found uh, fortitude in uh, marijuana. They regained their lives in replacing whatever uh, was killing them and about to have them kill each other with some pot. They weren't into really uh, the the culture. Like Josh would walk around the streets of Garberville with his walker and have big uh, spring break style pot leaf necklace with this big flat bill with a pot leaf patch on it. Like, like it was spring break or something. There were other kids my age around that still, you know, did the, uh, the, the, the hippie look like they were some counterculture wannabes and, um, and those were typically the ones that littered, left a mess, uh, didn't share what they would have. And when you play like that, you don't get shared with. And we learned that pretty quick. Over the next day or so, I, at least this was, this is what's in the journal. And this is, again, this is what I'm going off of. It says, I can't really remember much. I've smoked so much pot. (laughs) Um, Anybody and everybody had some. And if they were cool, they were always down to to let you share or share with you if you didn't have any. There was no, there was very, I'm not going to say there was none, but there was very little territorial monkey shit. It was a very communal effort to just wait this out until the trucks came to pick everybody up. I had heard that some of these farms would pay uh, $400, $500 a pound per what you would cut. So you would cut that much, and then they would, for your... It was was to help you on on your speed. Uh, Now, again, from what I had come to learn, the pros would wear gloves. 
because for as much pot as that is, you're, you're, you're touching that. And our bodies have a way of absorbing certain chemicals. And, you know, halfway through a pound, you're going to be high shit and not, not uh, there to really work anymore. So again, kept that in mind. But, but we're just hanging out, everybody, passing joints and food and stories just on this bank, swimming. Um, and so I got it, got to know some of the, the characters. There was this strange kid named Raven that was, uh, he said it was his real name, and I saw through this shit. Um, right away. It was the same thing with like Earth or Earth. It's like, that's not your name, you phony. And I saw his ID and his name was John. And he rode this dumbass beach bike around, always shirtless. Looked like, looked like Animal from the Muppets. Put this, um, put feathers in his hair and he would squawk like a bird. Like he, like he was, uh, some Mowgli kid, just some where the wild things are kid, just wanted to be wild. I'm not trying to shit on him, but it's like that's that you're just you're just being a character right now. Um, and it got to the point where I would just tell him to go away. He annoyed me, and and I, everyone he annoyed everyone else too. But again. We were all sharing. Um, he didn't smoke, but he would put, he would grind up some pot and put it in his lip, like a like a dip, like a tobacco dip. And I didn't. I still don't know if that works. I I wouldn't think it was or think it would, but uh, I guess somehow maybe the, the absorption of it. I don't know. He that's just how he did it. Um, there was this other guy that wore, I never knew his name, but I, he seemed to be the almost self-elected ruler of this area. He didn't say much, but he always looked like he was running around conducting something. Um, maybe he worked for the city, I don't know, but he was always wearing a um, semi camo, uh, but like again, like the hippie militant kind of camo, and it was always open. And he, you know, he was fit, but it just he just never really said anything, but always looked very busy. Maybe he was just high. I don't know. Maybe every everyone was just high, and and that's and that's all it was. Uh, there was this other couple. One, or the 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 guy was this punky guy had dreads, uh, real real thin small guy, and his girlfriend, I had a German accent or maybe a Scandinavian something going on, you know, long dreads as well, um. Uh, 
very friendly, but very, very strange people. Uh, they had this dog that was named Roland. I don't, I don't remember their names, but I remember their dog's name because of the way he would command the dog. We were swimming, uh, Raven tagged along, um, and I went over and met them, and <laughs> they were playing with him. It was a kind of a big pit mix, real kind of an old guy, old dog, um, and the dog would try and get away from him, not just, you know, just running around playing, and out of nowhere he had this kind of bro talk that went that then went to this weird commando voice where he would say Roland Bamasa one Bamasa two Bamasa three I was like what are you saying? Bamasa by your side by yeah by my side by my side bro bro Scadilio and kept calling me Broscadilio, like almost like he was mocking me, even though I wasn't saying bro, but he was talking to me like I don't know. It was such a weird just so weird. Everyone there was so strange. There were these uh, brothers who um had come from uh, I think very, very South Texas. And they were some of the normal ones that were really there just for the work. You know, they would smoke, but they weren't, they weren't super weird. Just kind of, kind of jockey guys had their dog, cute little dog that, uh, was just a little puppy, golden retriever looking, named him Humboldt. And, you know, we had all these dogs uh, around, and they seemed pretty normal. And then, right as Greg and Karen and I were about to make dinner, uh, I see Nick and his wife, who I never got her name. They were the ones that I kicked out with Earth back in Santa Rosa and I was like oh shit they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna fuck me up cause I lied and just and now here I am and I'm who knows what they had to do to get up here knowing them they probably just paid for a a taxi or took a bus or whatever whoever had Starbucks but then I I we we crossed paths and he was just like oh hey man and that was it like he didn't care and I didn't I mean I thought it was going to be a big fight he, they just I doubt he even really remembered me they were just so passive uh, and not in like a a good way like a peaceful way just almost like a airheaded passiveness but they were now part of the the community down there. So Greg and Karen and I began to cook. Uh, 
they got this propane grill for 10 bucks and we had breakfast and uh, breakfast for dinner and leftovers for breakfast. We split stuff at the Safeway and everyone either had some cash or food stamps or whatever, enough to, to chip in in some way. And we all, there's probably 20 of us down by the river and um, had food and we all cooked, Greg, Karen, and I, for everybody. Had burgers and uh, fed everyone out of my van. It was fun and it was nice. Uh, especially since everyone was appreciative and uh, contributed in some way, whether it was cleaning up or buying food. Josh, <laughs> that fuck, he came down for burgers but but didn't eat. I couldn't figure out how he survived. He never had any money, but was always so picky about the food that came his way. And any time he saw me, he'd say, Homie, yo, Indiana. And that was just, he called me Indiana. In his way of speaking, I'm not making fun of him. It's the way he talked. Um, so he was down there. He, he made his way down the hill with his walker. There was no way he was going to get back up. Not like he had anywhere to go anyways. I don't know where he slept. So I offered to let him sleep in the van. Um, and that was probably a mistake. He was up all night laughing, just high as shit, laughing. And he, anyone else would have thrown him out. And I know I should have. I just knew, I just knew he was innocent. I knew there was, there was no way he would hurt me. But he said he had this knife and he's like, it would go into you like butter. <laughs> and I said, if you say that again, and I took the knife, I said, if you say that again, you're sleeping on the floor outside. And he's like, no, Indiana, I'm just kidding. And then he had to pee. So I opened the side doors and he just kind of turns to the side and pisses out the door. Of course, getting it all over my stuff. Uh, and I, I understood his humor. And I understood he was just lonely. And I understood he just, he just needed a friend. Maybe someone too from Indiana. And it helped I'd fuck with him right back. And he'd laugh when I would. And I told him that I was leaving soon. And I could tell he was bummed out. He would... He would uh, almost deny it. Like, no, no, you're not leaving. We were up all night. Laying on the futon. He climbed up with me. After just laying on the floor. And he would tell stupid jokes and stories and... Until the sun came up, Greg and Karen 
came in and or came over, knocked and peeked in. They're like, what the hell are you two doing? Uh, and they peeked their, their head through the sheet and just saw us sitting there next to each other or laying there next to each other on the futon smoking bowls and just laughed at him. His laugh was so real and happy. Even though so much bad shit had come his way. But he had, just like Greg and Karen, found um, a relief in Bot. We helped Greg and Karen. They were getting paid by by someone to pick up some trash uh, in some of the, the wooded areas around. Well, I guess it was just mostly me. Josh had his walker and just sat up against the tree with Greg and Karen's dog, Little Hot Rod. Uh, and he just got the dog super high. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, we picked up trash for hours and hours and hours. And it was disgusting to me how these, again, these hippies... These, you know, wannabes would just leave so much trash. And the hypocrisy in that, in that, in that counterculture, whatever, is just so insane to me. The, the love for the environment or, or the animals or is, is usually, uh, not practiced. How many of those people are actively composting or recycling or uh, not eating factory-farmed meat. You know, it's just it's just a bunch of phony baloney shit that I just I just can't can't get behind. Um, and it's it was almost like the environment was a a cool thing to to get behind. And uh, uh, like a fad. And uh, it was rare when someone was actually genuine about it. Like Greg and Karen. I mean, granted, they were doing it for money, but they wanted to clean up the trash. They, they loved how beautiful our little nook of the river was, and that was because people like them kept it clean. Then you had these surrounded area, these surrounding little forests full of trash. And it was disgusting. Greg, Karen, and I got back to where Josh and Hot Rod were. That little dog who was always bouncing around and, and, and yip-yapping was sprawled out on the ground asleep. And Greg and Karen just rolled their eyes and laughed. We spent the rest of the day hiking around, picking up trash and taking care of Josh mostly. I asked about their road here what it was like, how they would spange and fly a sign. And um, I used the, the terms in my vocabulary like it was natural, not, not accidentally. I, I did it on purpose to just try and seem as legitimate as possible in it. I passed. I passed the, the test of not being called out. 
because uh, they knew what I meant and they uh, didn't bat an eye at it. They said it was easier with a dog uh, when you would fly a sign because it it hits that, that weak spot. They got lectured a lot by people uh, coaching them about how to properly own a dog and not to subject, sub, subject an animal to this type of life and that any of the money should go to food for him. And they they said it always really did. And they would just get what that was left. He ate first in their little family. And then we talked more about family and what that meant. And Karen laughingly said that Josh and I uh, were her street sons, were her and Greg's street sons. And then looked at me like, like, oops, did I say that out loud? Like, maybe she had been thinking it for the past couple days, like it was um, her little family. And I said, well, you guys are like my street parents. And they they had this... Uh, this little look of look of love in their eye of feeling uh feeling cared for while still caring for someone else and uh, it was nice to walk as a random uh, group of people that had come to be this immediate little family because that's what we were Josh was my fuck up brother that I love to hate but love to give shit to but that I would also worry about and care for and make sure he ate something Greg and Karen would cook and uh, get on us about cleaning up and, and and it was in such a short amount of time it had only been a couple days and I knew that at this moment, I wanted them to have the van, whether they had the money or not. And that's what we were going to do. I got back, and I said, let's just give you the van, and you can get me the money later, or, wh- or whatever we can do. And she said, oh, of course, of course, let's... You know, we can get a notary or whatever we, uh, I just, I just, I just know you want to go home. Because I would tell her that I did. I told him everything. About how I had left to die. About how I had gotten lucky enough not to. About the people I'd met, about Renee, about my parents, about everyone. And she knew how important it was and how ready I was to go home. I called my mom to update her on the plan and said, um, These people want the van and I want to give it to him. 
and that they'd get me the money in, in some amount of time. <laughs> in a matter of minutes, my mom had already purchased a, a train ticket. It was the California Zephyr from Sacramento to Chicago. Almost, almost a straight trip, three days. Karen asked to speak with my mom. I don't know what my mom said, but Karen said how happy she was to have met me and uh, how proud she was of me and how proud she hopes my mom was of me. It made my heart so full seeing Karen tear up as she talked to my mom about me. And I barely knew Karen, but I saw her now as this street mother. And the, the veil of this whole thing came crashing down as the worlds collided. My street mother and my mother were speaking on the phone. This whole thing was one big story where it, it could have been everyone that I've ever known sat in the audience. And now that fourth wall was broken. And it couldn't have been a better time to leave. I'll see you next time for the conclusion of Stove Forge. We
Just bow.